Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore applying design principles to everyday life. I'm your host and founder of Frost Collective, Vince Frost. My guest today is Emil Amusen, the creative director of Meet Q, the world's first genderless voice for AI. The project aims to break down long reinforced binary perceptions of gender found in modern technology. Meet Q was launched alongside Copenhagen Pride and has since received immense global coverage from BBC, Fox News, The Guardian, the World Economic Forum, and many more. It was also chosen as a research partner for the UN Women Program and has received a multitude of awards from DNAD to Khan Lyons to Alavi. Meet Q is an example of what the future holds if we break down gender stereotypes, the future of ideas, inclusion, positions, and diverse representation in technology. Welcome, Emil. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And where are you in this world? In this world, I'm in Copenhagen, which is there in Denmark. Yep. Um, which is where I'm based and live and I'm born. But I work out of virtue in Northern Europe. Okay. So that is Copenhagen and London. And then we recently had Berlin and Zurich join us as well. Mm-hmm. So we were like yeah, four offices trying to work together as one. Mm. Um, but you know, in these digital times, it, it kind of works actually, um, without having a, a crazy CO2 footprint. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's really cool that you, uh, and congratulations on winning, um, the DNA D impact award. Thank you so much. It's actually a, a funny story. I was sitting, uh, I was out having like an anniversary dinner with my girlfriend and then she went to the bathroom and then because I'm an idiot, I'm, I checked my email and then I got at the, that evening, I got the email saying that I was a DNA winner and she wow. came back and I tried to, you know, explain to her she's in the design business and like UX. She kind of get it, but I don't think she did at all got how big of a deal it was to me. Um, <laughs> and I was just like, it's, it's pretty, it's a pretty big deal. It's one of those things that I've been sort of looking forward to winning at one point and never yeah. knew it was actually going to happen. Wow. But, uh, yeah. So you, and I definitely took a twist. So you were you happy for the rest of the dinner on her, on her birthday or distracted? Really, really happy. <laughs> yeah. I was just, my mind was a million places and I was like texting the other people who worked on it. And I was like, this is crazy. And we were going to see a, a show afterwards. Mm-hmm. And my head was just like <laughs> stuck in DNA D oil. <laughs> That's a good promotion for DNA D. Um, mm-hmm. Thanks for that. How did the idea meet Q is it called? Um, the first genderless voice. How did it come about? So it actually started out that this guy called Jim Frangel, who used to work for the Webby Awards, he did these uh, Webby talks where he traveled the world uh, around the world and gave like an hour speech on basically just what's up on the internet right now. Uh, and he gave this uh, this anecdote that one of his friends had recently had an uh, Alexa installed. He had like a five year old kid. And then one day the dad came home and he just looked at his kid interacting with Alexa, and he was basically just yelling out orders. Like, uh, Alexa, play music, Alexa, do this, Alexa, do that. Mm-hmm. And he just looked at it for a while and he was just thinking, like, I wonder what it's going to do to his idea and perception of, of females if he does this for his entire mm-hmm. life. Yeah. 
Uh, and that thought kind of just planted a seed with us. And we're just like, it's true that there's something weird and interesting and perhaps troubling that we have this AI revolution and AI is coming in everywhere. And we seem to gender uh, also these very old school norms. So Alexa is a female because we're giving her orders. And Watson is a guy because he's smarter than us. Mm-hmm. And the more we look into it, it just, there's just so many issues with it that one thing was sort of these old world uh, gender stereotypes that were reproducing and just basically taking straight from the Mad Men era into the future <laughs> of mm. AI. Yeah. Um, and then it also just hit us. There's like a large group of people, especially younger people, who just don't identify within the two binary choices and they're not represented at all. Uh, and we're looking around the world and you can get, you know, a third gender passport. And then we have AI voices, which like it's a robot. It's, it's not a gender thing by nature. Like, why don't we have that third option? Mm. Um, and the more we looked, we were so sure we would get to, you know, page five on Google and it would say IBM is working on a gender neutral AI or something. And it just mm. never happened. Um, and we thought, okay, this is important. Like we, we need to build it, uh, also just because we wanted to make sure that someone did it for the right reasons. Mm. And uh, obviously there was a lot of people involved in this, um, the formation of Q. Um, can you shed some light on, on the roles that are involved in, in the project? Yeah, for sure. So it started out with basically a classic creative team, which is um, me and uh, Ryan Sherman, our director on the project, mm-hmm. that we just for a long time just kind of back and forth figuring out. We could kind of see that there was an issue, but we couldn't really figure out how to solve it or what the right way to solve it was. And then we landed on the idea of creating a genderless voice. Um, and then we started researching and pretty fast to figure out we needed a, a linguist to talk to, to mm-hmm. figure out if this was even doable. Um, so we actually thought I found a, 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 tr- a trans person who's a linguist here in Copenhagen, mm-hmm. who was really a big help in the beginning and pointing us to sort of the right literature and figuring out um, why we're gendering voices, why do we perceive a voice as either masculine or feminine. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the first step. And then we kept seeing this name, Julie Carpenter. I'm sorry, there's actually going to be a marching band walking by my window in a bit. In your office or on the road, I hope? Maybe in the road. <laughs> on the road, literally right in his five. It well, happens almost what, every day. And what's going on there? It's just uh, the Royal Kingdom of Denmark. We apparently have to have a marching band once or twice a day. Oh and if you can hear now. <laughs> no, sadly, okay. I can't. I was I was looking forward to that. Oh no, there, uh, we, go. Okay. there we go. Getting yeah, getting pretty loud now. Should we just let them pass or? Yeah, we'll just we'll just how long how long do they take to pass? <laughs> a few minutes. Like, okay. All right, okay, cool. <laughs> they do it every day. They just take their little walk around the block. Oh, that must that be a nice thing to see? Yeah, I mean, especially when we have clients that are not from Copenhagen, like yeah. they're always so surprised. Yeah. Are we at war? I mean, like, what's going yeah, on out there? Pretty much. Do. Yeah. <laughs> okay, it sounds like they've gone. Um, 
Okay. Um, so, so just as you yeah, so we kept seeing, go on, go on. Yeah. we kept seeing his name online, Julie Carpenter, uh, a researcher from San Francisco who was working in sort of the intersection between uh, robots and voices and that interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we thought, why not just shoot her an email? And then she got back almost instantly and she was like, yes, finally someone who's actually doing this. Um, and she's sort of been one of the pioneers in the field, writing a lot, uh, places like uh, Wired and Fast Company, uh, about AI and the issues with uh, these gender norms. Um, so she got on board and she was sort of our expert on the more sort of tech side of why are we gendering AI? Mm. Uh, so sort of step by step, we built this team of people who sort of covered different uh, expertise. Um, and then, of course, we got um, Copenhagen Pride involved, which was uh, a, a, a huge help to make sure that we had um, the non-binary community involved in this, um, because it is a very sensitive area, and it's very easy to, you know, sort of mess up. Um, so we wanted to make sure that the community also was very involved and felt like it, it was representative of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the end, we also did our launch with an NGO called Equal AI, which is a, a pretty new and small NGO, but they're basically fighting for a more ethical uh, approach to AI. Um, so we also did a bit of sort of back and forth with them. And they let us be a part of their, they had an event at South by Southwest last year um, where we got to present to you. And it was like, uh, along people from, I think, the two other teams were for MIT uh, and some uh, some other prestigious university. So all of a sudden, we were standing there, sort of, you know, two people from an ad agency and then just, like, doctors surrounding us. Um, so that was kind of interesting, but also nice for them to actually really recognize Q as a, sort of a project of that level. So they took you very seriously. They did. Yeah. Um, it was were, nice. Were, that were you surprised by that? So, <laughs> for sure. I think we were definitely surprised that people, we, we thought of it more of as an idea in the beginning that we thought was interesting to plan in people's head. Mm-hmm. And then when it sort of grew and we saw, okay, this is actually something that you know, people take very serious and it can impact a lot of people and it can perhaps impact how a, a large chunk of the world actually think about yeah. the AI. Yeah. Um, and we thought the timing was also right because we, it was sort of happening right as like Siri had been around for a while, but it didn't seem like people were really using it too much. But then Alexa came and it seems like that thing was sort of just starting to roll, at least here in, in Northern Europe. Mm. Um, so the timing was also just important that we didn't sort of you know, get left behind. Yeah, why do you think there has been such resistance um, from technology companies to implement a non-binary uh, voice option uh, to date? I mean, we, uh, of course, never got anyone to really tell us why, but from speaking to people like Julie Carpenter and the people who are in sort of that realm. Um, they said that what, what usually happens is the tech approach of, okay, so actually the first step is 
the people who are creating AI, they tend to be uh, skewing towards being sort of white males. Um, mm. So the people who are actually building it are not sort of very a diverse group of people typically. I mean, of course, there is there are teams, but this is different. But that is what we heard was usually sort of the first step of the issue. The second step of the issue is then you go out and then you test different voices. And third gender voices have definitely been tested in the past. Uh, and then you ask a large group of people to like, what are you most comfortable with giving voices? Uh, mm-hmm. And that way you build your data set. But what happens is that that data set gets flawed because the human history is basically flawed. So if we go, you know, back 30, 50 years, um, and even some places today, and if people are asked like the sort of the gender of a secretary, they tend to, you know, say it's female, uh, and the same with an expert or a doctor, then we have to sort of that list in more of a, a, a male dominated view. Yeah. Um, so check companies, they ask, and then they get the data back and the data says, Hey, if I'm giving out orders, I prefer to be a female voice. Or if it's an insurance or banking app that is giving me advice, then I prefer to be a male voice. Mm. Um, so, I mean, they're not doing it to, you know, be an evil tech in any way. They're doing it to reflect, um, you know, what people are telling them. Yeah. But what then happened is that we're taking these, this data set that is based off of sort of, you know, old world gender norms. And then we're, you know, just sort of propelling it right into that future we're basically building now with AI. Yeah, well, this is going to be, this is a huge territory, isn't it? I mean, we're talking to a lot of clients now when we're doing branding projects around, which previously talked around tone of voice, but now it is much more around brand voice. Um, and who is the voice if there is one that represents the brand? And um, this this pretty opens up a whole new territory, which was what you're um, focused on. How, how fast do you think this is going to take up uh, in the market? I mean, is Q already available um, in, in being utilized already? No, so what we did was that we found out relatively fast that creating a fully-fledged AI voice uh, was going to take a lot of time. A and B, it was going to be really expensive. And this was basically a, a passion project. Uh, so, you know, we, we didn't have bookings and that stuff on it. It was just something we did because we thought it was important. So we ended up thinking, okay, the, probably the most effective thing we can do is to launch a beta uh, of Q's voice um, to tell people, just kind of let people know and hear that it's actually possible to do a genderless voice and then sort of see if we can start this um, sort of, you know, you know, rally behind Q online. So what we did was we asked people on Twitter um, to tag uh, Apple, Amazon, uh, Google, and Microsoft to meet Q. Um, so that was sort of the mechanism. So we wanted people all over the world just to tag these companies until some of them actually, you know, sort of uh, listened up. Um, and then we had, I think we, in the end on Twitter, we had like around 60 or 70,000 shares of it. Um, that was one thing. And then on the media side, a big, big shout out to the, the, the communications department here in, uh, in Vice and Virtue, but it was really on the agenda sort of all over the world from you know, CNN and BBC and Fox news to Japan today and Hindu times and wow. 
a lot of newspapers that we couldn't even pronounce. Um, <laughs> so it really sparked that global conversation, which was exciting because that was basically our first goal. That was just to make people aware that this is an issue. Because yeah. we felt like for so many people, you would just not think about it. Mm. You would just say, of course, Alexa is a female. And if you open up, you know, you steal your options and you saw there's a male and female, you wouldn't never think about that there's actually issues with only having these two binary choices. That was sort of step one. Yeah. What about, so with Siri, is Siri just a woman, as a woman's voice or is it, can you change that if you want? Yeah. So recently they actually gave you a male choice as well. And then for some reason, like we could never find the answer, but in the UK, Siri is a male by default. Right. That's the only country. That's interesting. And um, sometimes with the Google Maps as well, or not Google, or Apple Maps, or whatever it is, um, some of the some of the voices are different. In, well, they are different languages every country you go to. Yeah, but and I think that I mean that Siri has now two options. It's a it's a great step in the right direction because that is basically the core of of Q. That we're not trying to, you know, eliminate or sort of say like you shouldn't have a male or female voice. It's simply about giving people an option just to say, like, you should have freedom to pick the type of voice that you either feel like you're most comfortable, you know, sort of interacting with or the one that is simply most representative of yourself. So yeah. it shouldn't be that tech companies are sort of, you know, reproducing these gender norms and they have that power. It should be that the user has the power to, 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 to make choose, that choice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I guess up to now there wasn't a choice, just male or female. So with with uh, with with Q, Q's voice is a mixture of male and female. So there, then you don't really know which gender it is. Yeah. So we found out the first step was sort of as we talk about the, the linguist. Why do we perceive voices as either male or female? Mm -hmm. uh, and we found all these sort of interesting insights into it. That one thing is sound of your S's. If you have very um, sort of extended S's, you're going to be perceived as more female. Mm -hmm. um, but also just the flow of your voice. If you have with your vowels, for an example, if you have very long vowels like I do now, I'm going to be perceived more female. Mm -hmm. But if I talk, if I talk very staccato like this, people are going to perceive me as more masculine. Yeah. Um, which has sort of interesting insight into how gender and voices work. Mm -hmm. And then sort of one of the key things we also found out was the, simply the hertz, sort of the frequency of your voice. Um, what there, there actually exists this sort of uh, space in the middle that the human brain can't really figure out to place a gender on. Mm -hmm. So we knew from the start, once we figured, found out about this, this space in the middle, that, that's where we had to play. Um, and so then we started recording voices. We had 12 different recordings. Um, and in the beginning, we wanted to layer them on top of each other. Um, and then I think it was in version one or two, we found out that layering voices, uh, it just, it sounds off to the human ear. It doesn't sound human actually. It was just, it was getting way too messy. Okay. Um, and then we started testing out each of the voices one by one. 
um, and found that voice that was from sort of the natural state was as close to the um, to the gender neutral state as sort of that was described by the theory. Mm-hmm. And then we started working with that voice. Um, so we had Nif, a sound designer. He would start altering different versions of it, and then we would send it into testing. So with the bias, we have this thing called bias voices, uh, where we can basically send things into testing um, and then get you know thousands of response um, within days. Wow. So we had 12 iterations of the Q's voice, where people had the opportunity of, like it was, um, they heard a, a piece of, of Q, and then they could say like one was the female, five was uh, masculine or male, yeah. and then three in the beginning was uh, neutral, mm-hmm. and then they would score. And we did that back and forth for such a long time. I think it was yeah, it was at round twelve, where we actually got the result. Um, that was that the my the majority perceived Q as gender neutral. Mm. Um, so people couldn't really, like some said it sounded male, some sounded female, but I, I think it was like 66% thought it was in that space in between where they couldn't figure it out. And that's when we knew, okay, we, we have our Q voice now. It's not only us that thing it, and it's like with the theory that describes it, like the majority of more than 3,500 people, they actually think they, they can't figure out the gender. So... And have you have you kind of set it up so people can just listen to it without knowing that they're being going to be questioned or whether they think it's male or female? No, so it's uh, it's sat underneath sort of a, a Vice article, and then there was like a, just a little survey thing, uh, and it was just like, how, how would you gender this voice? And then there was a soundbite, mm. and then they would hear it. So they didn't really know they they knew they were part of the survey, but they didn't know they were part of the survey about you know gendering AI voices. Yeah, I wondered if in real life when it's in activation, whether you'd actually even think twice about it or just accept it for what it was and, and um, uh, or, wh- or whether you would individually would definitely hear kind of a female versus male and vice versa. And one thing that was actually interesting was also that we found out by testing, but also after launch, how different it is uh, around the world, how we gender our voice. Yeah. So Northern Europe compared to Southern Europe is very different. Um, but also it's a very individual thing. There's like a, a radio show, an American radio show where they, they have a group of people in the studio and they want to play the game where they're like, okay, so, so what gender is this voice actually? And they're all like in the beginning, like, yep, I know, I know, I know. They're like, they're so sure. And then when they have to give out their answers, it's just like male, female, male. I'm like, why? Yeah. <laughs> and they can't agree at all. Um, and that was just an interesting thing that like, it, it, we also found out it's because that as humans, we are so used to gendering things. Mm. So that the idea of something that lives beyond agenda is for most of us, just a thought we have a really hard time sort of accepting. Yeah, yeah. Um, so people would come up with the weirdest, ex- not excuses, but just explanations, but to make sense in their head. So, like, on YouTube comments, people would write to me, it sounds like a 75-year-old female who's been smoking heavily her entire <laughs> life. <laughs> oh, my God. It was accurate? <laughs> no, not at all. But it was just interesting to see that people were really working hard to create the box which you could fit for their life to sort of make sense again. Yeah. Um, instead of just accepting, like, hey, you know, 
there's a whole world of people who, you know, who don't identify as either or, and we should just be completely cool with that as well. Yeah. I guess that's the kind of, that's kind of the issue traditionally around testing things is when people know they're being tested and ask questions around it, they tend to, you know, tend to overthink. It's not very much of a, it's not like a, a gut reaction to something um, that you would come across in everyday life. That's true. Uh, people tend to go into an expert role for some reason if they know they're part of testing. Yeah, yeah. And then they have a thousand opinions and views and stuff like that they would never think about if they were just a regular person or consumer or viewer or whatnot. I guess it's hard to know then. How do you decipher what's the best thing, the best feedback to kind of take on board and, and, and what not to? Yeah. That is a, a hot question. I don't know. It's, I feel like a lot of the feedback we've gotten has either also been in the very, very positive or the very negative end. Um, it's also, we could definitely feel like it is a very sort of political topic that we've been working with. It's been from one end, like death threats, to the other end, people writing us telling that we basically you know, to save their life almost. It's been very sort of high wow. highs and, and low lows in terms of the feedback. You've had death threats? Yeah, yeah. I mean, in the beginning, we, we set up an email account for people to get in touch with us. Yeah. Um, hello at .com. And Everyone can feel free to write to us. Yeah. yeah, we would get like these very nasty things in the beginning. Um, people who wanted to find us and, and stuff like that. Um, and it also got weird for a while. Where are you familiar with the QAnon, that right wing movement in the US? Mm. Oh, um, you got mixed up with that. Yeah, like they got into Q, and they were like, "Oh, you know, the leftists have now stolen our name and turned it into a gender neutral chatbot and whatnot." Oh, um, so there was like <laughs> some very weird sort of almost. Like the same sort of style that you see a flat earth thing on YouTube, like that style, where they're just like intercutting and stealing footage. Wow. Uh, like you got in there. Like, <laughs> so that got weird for a little bit. But I would say in general, people have been very positive. Um, and, and most importantly is that like the response we've gotten from the, from the non-binary community, mm. where people have, have said stuff like, like, you have no idea the impact it's going to have on you know, non-binary kids growing up and actually opening up their iPhone or whatever device and seeing that there's a third gender option. Like that, how it's going to make them feel very recognized that yeah. also in technology, it's something that we actually, you know, think of. Well, that's amazing. That's incredible um, positive contribution you guys are making. Obviously, this is not your day job, is it? This is, you're, you're an advertising guy, um, advertising creative. Um, I mean, ideas are, of course, your day job, um, but you're often working, more, you know, mostly, I guess, working for clients, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I work with The Virtue, which is the creative agency by Vice. Mm -hmm. um, so we work with a bunch of different clients, and some of it is sort of within the Vice world. And most of them are just a regular project like any other advertising agency. We do tend to have uh, a POV on the world and the work that we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and that's also why Virtue decided to sort of 
back to even though it wasn't something that we made any money of yeah. um, as more of an investment piece because we thought it was eh, an important thing to send out into the world. So how, so, did, that, uh, how did that come my, about? My, how, I mean, how did that come about? Does people, did, did, uh, is it your company or do you work for them? I work for them. I'm a creative director. So was it was it put out that someone say, hey, you know, we got this opportunity. We're gonna we're gonna invest money in uh, like a a good cause, or was it specifically around the impact awards? So how did how did it work? Uh, in the beginning, it was me and uh, Ryan, the other guy I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. We just had that idea, and we were like, okay, let's just push through uh, and just start working on it. Every sort of you know every hour we have in between meetings or Sundays or whatnot. Mm-hmm. So we just did it uh, as our own passion project. Uh, and then as it started to take shape and we started to, because it was also in the beginning, it was hard to sort of explain to people why this was important also because we weren't even sure ourselves yet. Like we could find some articles, but there wasn't a whole lot of stuff to sort of point towards. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were sort of also building sort of the, the case and the argumentation around Q as we went along. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sort of the first cut of uh, the film we did was, you know, so confusing and so horrible, uh, which was also just, you know, it, it was very clear to us that we had to really narrow down the thinking of why is this important. And then as we sort of went along, people got more and more interested in it. And then it, people from Virtue were like, it's a really cool project you guys are doing. Like, what can we do to get it out? And then, as I mentioned, the, uh, the communications department came along and the design department. And a lot of people got involved with it. Mm. Um, and we put it out as a, a Virtue and Copenhagen Pride project. Mm-hmm. Um, and then afterwards, like, we've been so lucky to get Sort of flown around the world to speak about Q, uh, and Q has been exhibited uh, exhibited at London Design Museum, and it's currently at Philadelphia Museum of Art. Um, so a lot of stuff happened where sort of the agency has also just been very involved in, in making sure we could go and be a part of it. Isn't that amazing? Is that is that the highest visibility you've had on a project? Um. I mean, I think so. I, we, Virtue Copenhagen, we had a, a really good sort of high in prestige project here. So we also had a project for a fashion retailer called Carlings, where we did a digital clothing collection, um, which ended up winning a Grand Prix in Cannes, a Grand Prix in mm. one show, and Euro Best. So that definitely also got a lot of attention, but that was more in strictly award stuff uh, and within the fashion industry. Um, but I would say to you in terms of just the, the press we got on it and then the fact that it, it did some things that I don't think as an advertising creative you expect can happen, that you could actually be exhibited at you know, the museum where Rocky runs up the stairs in the Rocky Two or whatnot. That's the Philadelphia <laughs> Museum of Art. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the fact that we're featuring it, um, UNESCO report. So uh, UNESCO did their first report on, uh, on gender bias and AI. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we got invited to be part of that project. Wow. Uh, and there's a, a part about Q 
And then actually in two weeks, we're going to Paris to speak at a UNESCO conference. So stuff like that happened on the back of you, which, you know, looking back of it, I was just like, I've never expected an ad project to do anything like that. Amazing. But I think that's also just an, an interesting part of, sort of the time we're living in now where art and creativity and advertising entertainment is sort of just blending together. Yeah. Uh, and people don't seem to care that much if a brand is involved, if it's just good and you know thoughtful and doing something good for the world. So um, I think that is just like an eye opener. Yeah. How has that changed how you and your your your, part, your creative partner approach um, other projects? Um, I mean, there's definitely just the whole thing of creating IP which is, I guess, something that other agencies are also looking into, mm-hmm. but something that is just an interesting sort of turn from always delivering, you know, a campaign idea or a film or, or whatnot to actually say, hey, what if we develop a new product for you or new way for you guys to, you know, use whatever you have. I think that is a very interesting path for advertising creators um, just to look at everything as a creative opportunity instead of more of the, the sort of the communication part. Has that made you feel more confident about your creative capability? Um, I would say yes and no, because it became very clear that when we did you that there were some parts of the projects where sort of agency people were really good. We were really good, like, you know, coming up with the idea sort of crafting that narrative around it and filling it in, like we were sort of like in charge of that part. Mm-hmm. But then the whole part of, because we're in the process now of actually building Q, um, and that whole process of, you know, developing, actually, you know, creating an AI voice, you can definitely take that we have to sort of, you know, take the back seat and let other people get in on that. So I think it's also, it's, it's clear that when you're doing a project like that, you have to, like some some areas you're going to be the expert and in other areas you're going to have to sort of, you know, just trust other people to make the right decision and you can yeah. try to steer it in the best way as possible. But, you know, I'm in, I'm in no way an expert in, in voice technique. Yeah. But you guys had the idea in the first place. It's aligning yourselves with others that can deliver on that. Because normally it's a client that comes to you with, you know, they would normally have the kind of be able to kind of de- deliver the idea. Um, once you've had it, it's 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 this interesting yeah. situation because all the impact awards is all about the self-initiated ideas that have made an impact on the world in a positive way, uh, and you see that kind of really growing um, around the world. A lot of a lot of people talking about it. You know, a lot of designers, creative people are kind of talking about it for a long time, I guess. But you're starting to see them actually coming to life. You're starting to see people actually making those ideas a reality, and it's bloody hard. It's very hard to make those things come to life. Um, but I guess over time, more you do, the more the, the, the more uh, strength you have by by doing that, and the more confidence around that, and therefore probably more more likely to do more projects, uh, self initiated projects, or IP. What did you say? What did you call it originally? Self IP. 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 Yeah. 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 Um, not for sure. I actually had a talk not too long ago with a, a friend who's a musician. And we had this talk about like how people are going to just, uh, they don't need a record label anymore. 
And to some extent, I thought like this is sort of the same that's happening in the ad industry now. That you know, we found out that we're so capable of actually you know controlling the process ourselves. That from the beginning, we don't really need a brief or a client. We can do a lot of that stuff ourselves. Yeah. And then once we have the thing that we think is important and we need to do, you know, you can start reaching out to clients and say, hey, you know, do you want to be a part of this project? Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because it is sort of you're, you're flipping sort of the roads upside down because all of a sudden it's, it's your baby and you're in control of it. And they're the ones who are kind of just, you know, you're presenting to them saying, hey, you know, this is what we're going to do. And they're like, ah, okay, okay, sounds good. Yeah, yeah. Because sometimes, I mean, in, um, in our experience, sometimes a client can come in with a brief and the brief has already compromised the potential of the project because they're already thinking, they've already narrowed it down or they've missed a trick or, you know, haven't, um, you know, maybe don't necessarily trust the creative process. Mm, for sure, I think that the classic example is just that you get a brief for, you know, trying to solve a huge problem and the ask is that you do it in a 30-second TV spot and you're thinking, like, well, how are we ever going to solve this problem by making a 30-second TV ad? Like, where you're thinking there's so many other things we can do that potentially could solve it over time, but, yeah. you know, a 30-second TV ad is probably not going to be it. The thing is also a lot for, for agencies and clients to work sort of very closely and figuring out like what is the best output for any brief instead of that sort of a bit old school way of doing it where you're just getting asked to, to basically fill out a media box. Well, yeah, that's the thing because we're all, uh, we're all probably charging by the hour. We're all kind of, you know, selling our capabilities and um, not necessarily thinking about charging for the idea. Or actually, mm. what you know, charging um, by the unit or by the outcome or by the success of a project. I think I think we're in a really interesting, changing time, um, which is really gaining momentum. Where we, as creative creatives and creative organizations, have the opportunity to start investing in the projects that we believe in. Mm, for sure, and I think it's also. Actually, a, a, a great thing that we see creatives go to not traditional agencies that they go to, you know, the Spotify and Ubers and Googles of the world uh, and Thrive. Um, and I think it's, it's also just a sign that the, sort of the, the way that creatives have worked and work today is so valuable in a lot of other roles than as a writer or an author. Yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. Let's talk about um, let's talk about passion projects, <laughs> uh, and I guess this this was one. But um, I mean, I guess the thing is is, is yeah, with, with like, the client projects aren't. It's not that you're not passionate about them. I mean, you could be really passionate about a client project. I mean, I am often, and the team are. You know, you know, someone calls up and says, "Hey, we got this opportunity to do something." It's like it's really cool because you never thought about it before, uh, and your head starts spinning with ideas. You know, um, it's. What do you think the difference, that's true. I, difference between like a, 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 a like a self-initiated project and and a client-driven project? A brief. There is a big difference, isn't there? Yeah, for sure. I think uh, if it's your passion project, it's it's going to carry a lot of a lot more of you in it because it's going to be very much based on sort of you know your point of view and your voice. And I think as 
you know, creatives in the advertising industry, there is something like if we all want to have our view and our, our word out sort of in the world. And sometimes with clients, you know, it's uh, death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. Not every time, but sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you feel like that, that beautiful thing you wanted to say about the world is sort of get watered down. Um, I think it's an interesting thing with these types of passion projects that you can kind of, you know, keep them very close to yourself and sort of treat them more as your baby. And I think there's also something, there's a strong case for actually producing a big chunk of the work before you, you know, uh, start collaborating with a, an NGO or a, a client because all of a sudden the vision is there, like it's laid out, they can see yeah. it. And it's my experience that there's a lot less questions and feedback done. Because yeah. the thing was also it's happening in the creative process is simply that it's hard for people to really get the vision and then they start having their own visions on where it could go. But whereas if you bring them in later in the process, uh, it, it's, it's, it seems way more so straightforward where we're going and why. Yeah. Um, and then you can sort of have a thing that is, you know, the thing you dreamt it to be. But of course, I mean, it, it, the downside of it is it takes a lot of after hours and Sundays and whatnot. Mm. Um, but then once it gets out into the world and it's made and it was your thing, it's also just the best feeling. Did you have a lot of naysayers around you? People saying, oh, you shouldn't be doing that or it's you know not a great idea or you know stick to your day job? <laughs> I mean, yes, it was, it was a yes and no because people who weren't um, sort of aware of the issue, uh, there was a lot of naysayers and there was also just a lot of people which I think is just sort of a general thing around the world, they were just like, you know, creating a genderless voice. Isn't that a bit like hysterical? Is it that important? Like aren't people male or female by birth? Like mm -hmm. that whole sort of way into it. Um, that was one side. And then there was the other side, people who were non-binary or working within AI. Mm -hmm. They were all like, this is, it's interesting because it's such a simple thought just yeah. adding a third option, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. but no one is really talking or thinking about it. Um, and I think that was also the strength of the idea that it was a very simple thought, yeah. but people just weren't having it. Now, often uh, the impact awards, this, these ideas that are winning awards are actually, you know, pretty like, like once you hear about it, it sounds so obvious. Yeah, of course. But, but there wasn't anybody else doing it, which is bizarre, isn't it? Um, because you don't want to be seen as copying or you just think, oh, God, someone must be sorting this out. out. Someone must be doing this somewhere in the world. And quite interesting to see that often the case is not. Yeah. I mean, as I said, like, we were so weirded out by the fact that there wasn't, you know, an article about, like, whatever big tech company is just doing it and it's going to launch in a month. But a good thing that after Q launched, you know, Amazon, uh, they did an activation uh, for Pride. Uh, and we've seen, you know, several different companies coming out with different options now, mm. uh, which we actually just, we think it's a great thing because yeah. what we wanted was just to, to get it on people's minds and radar and have the discussion. 
Uh, and then to see that it's actually sort of happening now is is basically all we ever wanted. Yeah. Did you have any self doubt yourself? Like, did you have days where you're thinking, "My God, this is taking a lot of time and energy." Um, did you have moments like that? Yeah, for sure. Uh, there's definitely some days where you just came in and you're like, "I would so much rather just have slept in with my girlfriend than kind of just <laughs> hung out with my dog." And just <laughs> um, for sure. I bet but, they would uh, too. Yeah. <laughs> But um, so but I mean, there was also just this idea that if we were doing something important, uh, and I think that just gave us the motivation to just keep on going. But there was, I mean, I I heard this uh, quote, uh, which was like, "There are no maps; we are the map makers." Yeah, and nice. that was actually after I heard that, I was just like, "Okay, that was exactly the situation we were in so many times that yeah. we couldn't sort of look at someone else who's done it before." Like we just had to sort of figure out ourselves like, okay, what is the next step? How do we actually do this? How do we test it? Like, who do we get involved? How do we launch it? All that stuff. It was a very learning experience. And of course, I mean, there was meetings where we were just looking at each other and we were just like, we have no idea what we're doing now. <laughs> wow, it's amazing you guys persevered with that. You could quite easily just given up. For sure. And I think... To be honest, like what I've experienced is just like in agencies, there are so many great ideas yeah. and most of them just die because people are busy doing other stuff. Yeah. And I think that is sort of what I've learned with this project that the most important thing is just to, to persevere and keep on going. Yeah. Like that is sort of what separates the projects that get made from the ones that just die in the, in the draw. And I guess don't be afraid to ask for help or find, you know, people around you that you can actually support you bring this idea to life. For sure. I mean, we've sent out so many emails and we got so few responses, but the right people got back um, and wanted to be a part of it. But there is, I mean, there were so many no's uh, and people who then wanted to get involved and they were like, oh, so you're an ad agency, so I'm going to, you know, just, charge this crazy consultancy hire and we were just like no no it's not that type of project like we're we're trying to do something good for the world and like no one's getting paid anything so um there was a lot of no's but then also when people got back to you and you know equal ai say hey do you want to come to south by southwest and launch it like stuff like that just gives you so much energy when things actually fall into place amazing Well, that's another thing we didn't talk about is the fact that there's no remuneration for it. You're doing it because you purely believe that this is a thing you need to do for a positive, for humanity. Yeah, I mean, the the goal was from the beginning to to then when we were able to launch Q, uh, the Q should be open source so it can be implemented everywhere. Mm. There was never sort of an end game of of getting rich. I mean, also we spoke to to lawyers and they were also just like, it's also a tricky thing in trademarking a voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you can trademark a name and a brand and all that stuff in the process of creating a voice. Uh, but you can't really create, a, a, you know, uh, trademark a voice. And then we thought like, that's actually fine because that's not at all what this project is about. Like we actually, once we spoke to them, it became very clear that 
it wasn't actually about creating a genderless voice as the first and then trademarking it to make sure no one else could use it. It was actually the exact opposite. Mm. Wow. Well, there you go. Big heart, big idea, and, uh, you know, a big outcome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we tried our very best, and uh, it seemed like if something came out into the world and made a small impact, so that, um, that's all we could ask for. Yeah, yeah amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to hear about any future uh, projects you guys are working on um, because I think you should get, you know, far greater creative confidence through, through bringing this one to life. Yeah, I mean, Q is actually still very much alive and kicking. So we're working with a tech company. I can't tell any names now, unfortunately, but um, on bringing Q to life so we can actually launch that uh, text-to-speech version uh, for everyone to use. The wow. so Q is still alive. Um, we're working on an interesting AR project as well, um, which hopefully we're going to be able to launch in March sometime. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is sort of the same deal, just an idea we thought was important to get into the world. Uh, and then a lot of sort of Sundays and after hours. Um, but it was actually interesting. I, I definitely had sort of second thoughts after Q about jumping straight into another sort of passion-ish project. Uh, but then on the other hand, when I look back on all the things that we sort of accomplished with Q, I was just like, it's, it's yeah. so worth it. Like, I'm signing up for another round. Oh, that's cool. I mean, it must be interesting to see also the, the Virtue team. Um, are they all kind of, uh, you know, supporting you and excited about uh, the project and, you know, maybe projects they could do as well? For sure. I mean, there's so much goodwill from people who are just, uh, you know, down to help out in any way they can. Um, that's also the good thing about having done it before, that people can kind of see the impact and, and all that stuff, that they can kind of see that, okay, can actually, you know, these type of projects can actually work. Um, so I think it's been it's a lot easier the, the second or third time around to get people on board. That's cool. I know you've got to wrap it up. You've got a meeting to go to, but Emil, it's been so cool to talk with you. Yeah, likewise. Such a pleasure. And uh, good luck with uh, you know rolling this out. Sounds really exciting. Cool. Thank you so much. Thanks, buddy. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you all for listening. If you want to find out more about designing your life head over to our website at designyourlife.com.au or on our social media at Frost Collective. If you enjoyed this episode and found it inspiring, please don't forget to review or subscribe.